saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Hello everyone and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 312 and into some trans storytelling we delve. It's your host, Ify Whitey in the booth with my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, we have the Christmas Eddie himself, an amazing film critic uh, who, who keeps being quoted about liking Dragon Ball Evolution, but let it go. <laughs> it's Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Yeah, I have a handful of reviews that will never die, and that is one of them. Um, <laughs> what's good is the great Billy Bragg. Um just fighting the good fight for decades now and just uh, as lefty as all get out and 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 talking about organized labor and working class issues uh, most recently dropping a new song called rich men earning north of a million and if that title sounds like the title of another song that recently went viral it is very much intentional and um the intent of the song is basically hey Working class, you have every right to be mad about things, uh, but maybe instead of being mad at the people who are worse off than you, who are getting government assistance or who are immigrants, maybe that rage should be directed to the people who are not paying you enough. And instead of the government, maybe look at the bosses, look at the corporate structure that is grinding you and exploiting your labor. Lots to put in one song. Billy Bragg does it. It's on YouTube. Here, here. Billy Bragg's collaboration with Wilco, Mermaid Avenue, which was um, uh, Woody Guthrie's music, mm-hmm. but like the lyrics that he had never recorded, but one of my all-time favorite albums. And that led me to discovering Billy Bragg's own songwriting. So I, I back you up, Alonzo. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your what's good. B- Billy Bragg had a show in Dallas that both Dave and I attended before we knew each other. We figured, out, we figured it out later. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Uh no, um shout out. Yeah, big shout out to Billy Bragg. Uh is great. And yeah, I think it is a constant reminder that we need. I think uh I've said it a million and ten times of how every time, you know, there is any type of labor dispute, it doesn't matter from from like I said, back in 03 from the gross uh, uh SoCal grocery markets down to writers, it's always the person who's like, why are you asking for more money? I get paid this month. And it's like, well why don't you ask for more instead of chastising people who dare ask for more it it is a and it's and it's all because of like deep down it's a psychology where it seems easier to not do anything and hope that one day you hit the lottery and make you know work your way up than to actually fight and get paid what you deserve so um, hashtag hot labor summer Yes, indeed. Um, but speaking of hot, uh, we have the skin care queen, super festival programmer, producer, queen of the Midwest, who's sitting real pretty on a pontoon on a lake. Drea Clark, what's good? I was just going to say, oh, no, because my what's good is directly not related to labor, but fully related to a lazy ass summer vacation. Hey, see, um, see, we uh, made it work. Uh, some, what are things somewhat. labor fights for is time off. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I just got back. I, I have two vacations a year and they're always in quick succession. So it gives this like, oh, wow, what a great life tonight. And then it's just, you know, the other 50 years. Back to the grind. Other 50 <laughs> weeks. But um, my family and I go to a different place each summer chosen for 
the proximity to fun things. And this year we went to just outside of Denver, Colorado, and it was a delight. Did we go to a Colorado Rockies game? Did we go tubing down rapids? Did we rent a pontoon boat? Did we go to Meow Wolf, an immersive art experience? Did we, what else did we do? Oh my God, the best, maybe the best is we always do a movie night. And this year, all of us, my family's pretty small. There's just nine of us. We only have two grandkids total. And uh, yeah, I got the entire family to watch Cocaine Bear and they <laughs> loved it. It was the most successful family viewing I've ever had. This is the same family where I lost some of them when I tried to show them waiting for Guffman. So who knew? Even my mother stuck it through and she was like, oh no, like so much blood. <laughs> my dad never laughed harder. It was very fun. But oh, one of the other things we did, which will be the, the pinnacle of this and that I pass along is knowing we we're going to be in this beautiful spot for like the first time forever that wasn't like the background of someone's wedding. Um, I found a uh, family photographer. And so we had family portraits done in like front of the fields and mountains. And they're so beautiful. You've never seen more square white looking people in your life. <laughs> but it was a delight. And I recommend that if you are getting your family together, find nice local photographers have that memorialized. I didn't have a single good picture of my parents until this. And now I have one that looks like it should come with the frame. You know, like just that weird. And you're in it too. Yeah. But the really good one I'm not in. I was like, I'm getting one with just the two of them. And they're like, oh, yeah. fine. So yeah. <laughs> Photos, family vacation. Ooh, Bears ooh. beats Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Go Clarks. Oh, oh yeah. Go Clarks. Oh, yeah. Y'all nailed it. Iffy, Iffy. what's good? Oh, what's good? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, what's good with me is that, you know, my my basement seemed to have survived the uh, hurricane, the hurricane, <laughs> uh, which I didn't even feel the earthquake portion. Oh, I, I, I did feel uh, I, I did feel the the hurricane. It got wet down here, but so far, you know, so good. And uh, it's drying up now. So uh, thank you. Uh, you. Me and Demi were supporting each other as, as, as two folks who have been flooded in the past rain season. And uh, it seems like Demi stayed dry and I just stayed dry-ish. Um, you know, may created by Kenya Bearish. <laughs> <laughs> There's some kind of terrible wordplay here about how, like, if he never has um, a, a dry bottom in his vicinity. Yeah. But I'll let this someone time, else yeah. fill in those blanks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd this, be is best. The, this is the one time I was happy. About I'm not the writer. <laughs> I don't have to do it. About it being dry downstairs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, look, today we're talking about a new indie film about a day in the life of a young trans man. Then we'll nominate some day-long movies in the Hall of Excellence. But first, it's time for Ididic, our movie news segment where we read the week's entertainment headlines and ask ourselves, is this important? Do I care? And Alonzo is going to kick things off. Yes, sir. So, uh, speaking of labor, the WGA Antitrust Report calls Disney, Amazon, and Netflix the new gatekeepers. Uh, last week, the AMPTP returned to the negotiating table with the Writers Guild of America, and those talks will continue this week. 
Amid all that, last Thursday, the WGA West released a report asking regulators to investigate anti-competitive practices at the major streaming companies. The 15-page report lays out a case that deregulation and mergers have laid the groundwork for a future of increased market power that could soon leave just three companies controlling what content is made, what consumers can watch, and how they can watch it, a phenomenon that's also bad for employees like writers. Is this important? Do you care? Oh, oh Lord. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this has been something that has been talked about since the the great Disney um, purchase, and 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 when that was, was happening, and I mean, great, you know, whatever, no need to, but yeah, in so, the great and powerful Oz sense, yeah, yeah, as we saw, you know, like you know, Searchlight and all these other kind of like you know smaller divisions of these film companies kind of get shuttered as they keep you know growing into one huge amoeba. We we're starting to see the uh the issue with this i think uh we the the writers the actors the producers and you know people who are actually you know very very invested in the industry has has seen the issue with that but i think you know we're really starting to see uh the damage on a i'd say on a whole consumer level uh especially when we're seeing just how they control essentially everything. And I think, you know, it's also worth mentioning uh, Ronan Farrell did a good write up about uh, Elon Musk and how he's been able to kind of get his fingers in all the different industries just by owning X and Tesla, Tesla. How and dare SpaceX. you call it that? We call uh, it Twitter here. It's yeah, Twitter yeah. now and for <laughs> uh, But yeah, you know, you, you just have all these companies kind of consuming multiple avenues and kind of unfortunately, uh, getting more control than they should because, you know, the power of media and the power of uh, access to what consumers can see and hear. And this is just a small part of that that I think it was very necessary to uh, report and lay out. It's also the idea when you only have three companies controlling everything and then you think how absolutely corrupt the people at the head of these are and what that means for um, not just entertainment value or what we're getting to see or the voices that are being, you know, rising through the channels and getting to tell stories. It's also the nonsense of, oh, cool. Is it just going to be a lot of propaganda, like multi-million blockbusters with gross interior messaging? And I don't know. I think all of it's problematic. And I think it is very true. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely a market issue as much as it is creative anything else and and the cultural impact of what it could be is is pretty horrifying so we'll see what kind of regulations could come forth i am someone who will always be pro pro regulation because in my heart i know people are garbage bless them, <laughs> and they need to be checked yeah um, yes. fewer people saying yes is never a good thing and and in addition to just how it can really fuck up the future of this industry i think it's also remember that the past plays a role here as well because disney now controls the entire 20th century fox library which you know includes like 1927's Sunrise, one of the first, you know, uh, best picture winners and, and like a, a film that's considered, you know, still a masterpiece of cinema. And, it, it, and you know, you now have to go through the Disney gatekeepers to get your hands on it if you want to project it or you want to get it on home video or whatever. And so, uh, you know, when Ted Turner acquired the MGM library back in the day, he was going out of his way to like 
put things out there and like not just you know he started Turner Classic Movies he took over uh, uh, the AMC theater that was in the CNN Center in Atlanta and devoted one screen to always showing double features of classic films and another screen to go with the wind because it's Atlanta and there's a whole weird thing there but anyway you know but nowadays these guys don't give a shit about this stuff and they, they only see this as an asset that can be sold off and, and, you know, used to sort of boost the bottom line and make the shareholders happy. And so, you know, we have to wonder, like, who are going to be the actual gatekeepers of, you know, Hollywood's history and of all these uh, kind of archival treasures and, and just accessibility to old movies that, that, you know, and TV shows that these guys are going to now hold the keys to. Who watches The Watchmen? Bingo. <laughs> That's what I've always said. <laughs> All right, speaking of movies, uh, the largest indigenous tribe in the U.S., Cherokee Nation, has created a new business that will consolidate creative filmmaking projects within the tribe. The new company, called Cherokee Film, will have four branches with 30 employees, Cherokee Film Productions, Cherokee Film Studios, Cherokee Film Commission, and Cherokee Film Institute. There are also plans to expand the tribe's soundstage in Northeast Oklahoma, and I will tell you that the Cherokee Film Commission was one of our sponsors at Bentonville next this year. So there's Ooh. a beautiful picture of me and my best friend Gina Davis in front of the Cherokee Film literal banner. Is, <laughs> is their actual story important? Not me and Gina. Do you care? No. I know. Did you Go say no? <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> no. Next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely important. And I think that we have seen that uh, in the history of indie film and of, of sort of indie voices coming up, it's very rarely this sort of like organic mushroom that happens. You know, you have to have people within a certain community who are putting together the resources and the funding and the energy to sort of like get those stories told. And we've seen this time and again with different underrepresented groups in the U.S. And so absolutely, I think that that um, for indigenous people, it totally makes sense to be like, we got to get this stuff done. We can't just wait around for somebody else to do it. And so we have to kind of create this infrastructure so that we can tell these stories and, and, and get this stuff made. I mean, when I think about how it took like somebody with the clout of Taika Waititi to make reservation dogs happen. Uh, but like that show is this constant reminder of this wealth of talent on both sides of the camera uh, that exists, you know, among indigenous people in the U S who aren't getting opportunities. Uh, I'm glad these opportunities are, are being created within the community itself. It's, it's yeah. the, it's a really, solid inversion of what we were just talking about with the studio gatekeepers. Like mm. this is the opposite of both the artistry and perspective that can come through that. And there are like uh Sterling Harjo or Sydney Freeland. Like there's yeah. a great track record of um, indigenous filmmakers in the indie sp space, but putting it together so that it's looking at things like funding at film support, at commissions to bring people to Oklahoma and then enhance like local crew potential, like all of those things make it less of the one-off that a single indie film can feel like and more uh, sustainable and growing the talent and growing the voices and all of the like really unique stories that can come out of that. Like Reservation Dogs, I mean, one of the best shows in the last five years, if you ask me. It's, I mean, it's no grand crew, but I was a big fan. <laughs> but... um. I also think it is a the element too of you know we're 
constantly thinking about like who is making uh, the stories about certain groups, right? Who is, you know, actually like, you know, connecting with the source. And I think uh, giving a voice to the Cherokee people to have the stories of native folks and not, you know, wondering if it's just another, you know, uh, prominent white director who is going to take their liberties to make it the best story and not necessarily the most, you know, <laughs> real version of those stories. I think that's real exciting to see. And also, I, uh, I've i said it before, you know, there, there are tons of times where you'll see these like great indie films that are done by, you know, women, people of color, uh, gay folks, trans folks who like, you know, on paper, yeah, it may seem like a story that has been done, but because it is from a different perspective, it is so much more dynamic and new. So it's always great to like kind of carve out the space for new, new backgrounds to tell stories stories. He's singing my song, Alonzo. <laughs> you know. It's my favorite, my favorite chorus. Yeah, I can't wait words. to be the second person giving a shout out to you, or third technically, at the Spirit Awards <laughs> uh, to acknowledge your gatekeeper. Speaking of gatekeeper, How abilities. Dare you. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag goals. Well, uh, speaking of film yet again, or should I say cinema, National Cinema Day is returning this year, but the cost is going up just a little bit. Last year, a one-day event where moviegoers could buy any ticket for just $3 created a noticeable bump in box office revenue across the U.S. This year, the Cinema Foundation is trying it again, but this time at $4. This coming Sunday, August 27th, over 3,000 theaters will be offering tickets to any film for just $4. Is this important? Do you care? I love this. I'm excited about this. And I want you to know, because we are discussing, uh, spoiler, next week we're talking about Blue Beetle. And I was going to see it on Sunday, August 27th. And then was like, oh, no, I want to pay more for Blue Beetle because I wanted to have my doctor. So I, re I got a different ticket for that on Saturday. And I'm going to see something else on Sunday. But I love this. Like, we talk so much, like, the theatrical experience is the lifeblood of, of what it means to be seeing film in a spectator setting and something that feels like it's, uh, you know, a crowd event and a community event. And anyway, I love this. I, I hope people uh, get it out there and um, I hope that they sell every ticket, a $4 ticket. Yeah, yes. I, I, I think it's really smart. I mean, you know, it was was it this year, last year, time is a flat circle, uh, when 80 for Brady came out and they were like, you know what, we're trying to get an older audience and maybe doesn't go to the movies as much. We're going to charge matinee prices all day, every day. Wow. So and so I think we need to see more stuff like this because I think it does encourage people to be like, ah, you know what, I'll go do that. Why not? You know, maybe I'll blow a little, you know, the leftover on popcorn now that I would have paid for my regular ticket. But yeah, I think anything that sort of induces people to like be reminded of what they like about the theatrical experience and to do it in late August, which is generally kind of a doldrum period yeah. for the industry. I mean, like things, kids are getting back to school. Like there's this other stuff on people's radar. And so like right around Labor Day, just it's kind of, things die. So like, yeah, why not induce people, give them a little nudge to, to, to get them to buy a ticket. I think we, I want to see more of this from, from, uh, you know, our nation's exhibitors. I think it's going to be really necessary. It should be quarterly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Quarterly activity. Keep, Bring keep, the whole family. Yeah. Keep this crap game afloat. <laughs> well, that's so funny you should say that because I was I was kind of thinking the same thing. Whereas um, we have to kind of 
re-jumpstart the movie-going culture, right? With the with the pandemic and the in introduction and the shift of putting like movies out on streaming, I think we, you know, for very good reason, kind of slowed down the movie-going culture. And I think um, I was talking about it when I went to go see Oppenheimer. I don't think I talked about it on the episode because I was so caught up. I think um, that, first off, I've got to say, I think the new Exorcist trailer probably the most banger trailer ever. I don't watch trailers, but if it's in the film, I have to watch it. And I got to say, I hate scary movies, but that trailer banged. Uh, but there was that moment we're all in there because it was the 70 millimeter uh, Oppenheimer. So it was packed out because everybody has to see it in 70 millimeters. And it was such a good trailer that at the end, I'm like, damn, I really want to see that. I said it out loud. And the guy next to me is like, I know, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, this feeling again, where like, <laughs> yeah, where yeah. you're like, everyone Strangers is here for, yeah, from the same, like, you know, we're here for the same reasons. We all love movies. And, and we kind of, you know, rightfully had to put that on pause to be safe. And even now we're still being safe, but I think it is, the onus is on the theaters to kind of incentivize coming in, uh, in good ways, like these like $4 days and kind of driving people out and like reminding us of the like film going experience because I, I did kind of forget that like that, that is the moment, the, the, the kinship of being in a dark room with a bunch of people excited to see what's about to be shown on this silver screen. I want you to know all that's going through my head is when Vin Diesel did that. A, I think it was AMC. <laughs> he did one of the like Nicole Kidman style things. And it was like, movies i think you just accidentally quoted like four things he said in that so <laughs> the, the kinship is real yeah, Vin yeah. said well, it if he believes that that settles yeah yeah he's sorry like, he's the like, vinship the vinship is real movies when we're there the families are together <laughs> and now that there's bars and movies you could get a corona as well <laughs> all right on that note we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back we're spending the day with mutt I'm Emily Heller. And I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses. We've been doing our podcast for over 10 years. When we started, it was about trying to learn something new every episode. Now it's about us trying to actively get stupider. And it's working. <laughs> Hang out with us and you'll hear us chat about... Gardening. Horses. Various problems with our butts. And all the weird stuff that makes us horny. That's so weird, all that stuff. <laughs> Baby Geniuses, a show for adult idiots. Every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, we know everything. Baby Geniuses, tell us something we don't know. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm Yosef Uwadiwe. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. And today's film is the debut of director Vuk Longolov Klotz, a transgender man who was born in the U.S. to Serbian and Chilean immigrants. It stars relative newcomer Leo Meal, and it premiered at Sundance, shout out to Drea, 2023, where Meal was the first trans actor to win Best Acting Award. Another shout out to Drea. Uh, <laughs> Drea does not, I, this is the, the mandatory, I have to say, Drea is not in fact the gatekeeper I make her out to be, just kind the, of. The single-handedly running yeah, yeah. Sunday's Not chief. at all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just going forward uh, for, you know, just uh, 
understanding just the pronouns. Uh, Leo Meal uses they, them, while Finya is he, him in the film. So, Drea, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of Mutt? A film that premiered at Sundance and I had zero involvement with choosing. I would love to take credit for this discovery, but kudos to the people who actually did. All right, so uh, we meet Fenya, who is a young trans guy. Um, he is living his life in New York and is about a year past his trans his, the beginning of his transition date. Um, it is this very vibrant, hectic life. He's living, he's trying to both figure out a ride or a car that he can borrow to pick up his father who is coming from Chile and dealing with uh, his younger sister who pops up out of nowhere, has an encounter with an ex-boyfriend who he hasn't seen since he started transitioning. Um, so a lot of humanity, you know, all of the stuff all happening all at once, but also just a day in the life of this dude. Mutt. So it's the, the first discussion prompt by Marissa is, uh, do you think this is a movie about the trans experience? And I, I, I think it's a yes and no. I feel like this is a story about a trans person, but it's, you know, I feel like it is a very personal experience. You know, once I like looked at looked up the director and it is very much it seems like it's kind of autobiographical kind of like you know and an element of them is within this story the character in this film is uh you know chilean the director is chilean chilean and serbian and so it was very um interesting to watch it from that lens because there was like some there's some things that i th thought that like i was aware of as much as you can be aware as an outsider from my own trans mask friends. And then there was like other moments like where I was like, oh, I would have never even considered it this way. But there are like, I think, keystone moments of like the the 22 year old and the conversation with the father that I'm like, these are like moments that are covering this. And I think everything else is just someone dating in New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm always very reluctant to use phrases like mm -hmm. the trans experience yes. because there is no the trans experience. Mm -hmm. Like It is anything but monolithic. It very much depends on circumstances and, and, and trans mask v trans femme. Um, you know, where are you? Is, is Where is this all happening? What are your means? How is your family responding to it? Like, I think every trans person has their own story here. And, you know, this the, there are a million stories in the naked city and this is one of them. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I think this movie feels so lived in, like all of the, not just geographically in terms of the spaces, but, you know, the, the way the characters interact with each other, just the, the way that people's lives work and who you're getting favors from and who you reach out to when you're having issues and who is driving you crazy, like all of that stuff, just, you know, you really get this great character portrait uh, you know, thanks to people who have known them for a long time, maybe people who've known them for less time, and, and it does kind of come together by the end. There's a great uh, line toward the end where uh, where Fenya's ex says, "People don't hate you because you're trans. People hate you because you're an asshole." And I thought, "Is he or is he just in his twenties? You know?" Yeah. And like, oh yeah. No, no the shade social on, network line. Yeah, yeah. No shade on people in your twenties, but come on, you, this is the decade where you like make mistakes and do emotional things yeah. that you regret later. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I love the, the portrait that, that we get by the end of this film. 
Yeah, especially because, you know, as as the, you know, voyeuristic viewer of this film watching their day to day, it felt almost kind of unfair to paint them uh paint him as an asshole because it, it like they were going he was going through so much shit and I get why he responded a lot of the ways that he did. And also, you know, the yeah, just just to, just just all over the place. And I think that's if he what was made it true, fun. Yeah, if he was truly an asshole, the moment where I would have lost my shit is when Finya and his younger sister are like crashing their friend's house and the sister like locks them out with Ugh. all his stuff inside. And I was like, oh yeah, no, an asshole would have told that girl what's yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's how I know this guy's a good heart. Yeah. <laughs> I do yes. think, just to expand on what Alonzo said, because this is, it truly is, I have no credit for it, but this is my favorite kind of like indie discovery. It's beautiful filmmaking and really thoughtful and some interesting performances, but also has such specificity. This is the whole thing of what you gain in storytelling from unique perspective. And part of what we get in the the one, just one thread that's being uh, unraveled in this is in Fenya's um, meetup and exchange, like later on with the ex-boyfriend who's trying to puzzle through it. Uh, a, like there's a moment um, where uh, Fenya, again, trans masculine, has to go get a plan B pill to like ward off. And, yep. and I'm like, I love that. We do not see that explored in yep. uh, most films, but like the very reality or the very real realities, you guys, you're welcome. <laughs> so Words real. are my tools. But the, the realities of, yeah, se- sexual life at, in a human body. This is what's going on. And then the emotional ramifications of them reconnecting when, like Alonzo saying, the puzzling out of their thing, like listening to two people, nobody wants, first off, all that conversation, I'm like, get me out of here. Nobody wants to have those conversations <laughs> yeah. with their partners. I'm like, eh. I hate all of this, but it was so real and so specific that idea because Fenya is trying to make a case that what went wrong in their relationship was uh, rooted in their own identity struggles. Yeah. And then the boyfriend was like, it's bigger than I, I see that I get that, but how you treat me wasn't just in that. And I'm like, Oh, this complexity and specificity is so incredible. Like I felt like in that moment, I just had the small awareness that I had never thought of seen heard before. Oh, the oh, conversation yeah. about top surgery and the, the pain of it and the specifics and the logistics and just the visuals of it like felt like something I'd never seen in a movie before. And then I, I thought it was interesting to, to sort of between that and the plan B, then to also have the younger sister get her first period over oh, the course was, of it. Oh, yeah. that, was, add that to the to the that, narrative as well. That was so, yeah, this, this was such an like wonderful exploration of gender identity because you know you have at the same time they're one year into T got the top surgery but then there are moments where you know he's like do I look like a man to you do I you know you're seeing that and you're seeing the the, the issues with the check and going back and forth and being dead named like it was very like it the the icing is like yes this this huge moment of womanhood that uh finya has experienced but has now you know uh transitioned it is it is this interest and the the conflict that they started with and in the end i feel like his sister was the most understanding person in this whole story and there was such a great uh 
generational thing with that because we get the older father who Mm -hmm. is doing that like, oh, I'm trying really hard, but yeah. I'm sort of slipping oh, yeah. on the name and I love you, but wouldn't it be easier if, you know... You were such the, a beautiful girl! You were such yes, a beautiful it's, girl! Oh Whereas my God. the younger sister who's like 13 or something, or well, she's getting first period age, mm-hmm. so however that was, her whole thing, she's like, yeah, I have several f- trans friends. Yeah, yeah. Do you whatever. Know, she's nonplussed, like, just to, to build in those small moments of generational differences... <sighs> to this kind of experience was enough. That's what I'm saying of the thoughtful touches. Yeah. It, it's truly that that's what made it feel so real. And it felt like it showed the spectrums of microaggressions and how they mm. kind of come and go. And the, I really liked, you know, the, the, the conversation with the father, cause it felt so real. And it, like, that was a conversation that, you know, cause there was like the, the, the funny esque moment with the 22 year old who was just asking all the basic dumb. And that person was very obviously the avatar for dumb questions. Trans people have to deal with. And you have this and it's kind of, you, you, you watch that and you're like, Oh, this is very much just this type oh, the of cocaine cousin, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The cocaine. And, you're kind of like, oh yeah, this this kind of feels like you know, like like this is this is more me being told something as a viewer. Like this is the bullshit. And then you get to the dad conversation. And you're like, oh no, this feels real. This feels like we have we are. This is this is a an artist. This is a transcreating a movie. Of- yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. I oh. think one of the questions that our super producer, uh, yes, Marissa, wrote in here that I do think is interesting because we are a cisgendered audience ourselves betwixt Mm. the three of us. Um, And because this is a trans story by a trans filmmaker um, with a trans actor, there is something in here that I'm like, oh, I know that I can have some kind of faith in authenticity. Right. Um, And I really like the quote here from the director that everyone here is allowed to say wrong things as long as their heart is in the right place. But in terms of obviously... For this film to do really well, it's going to be seen, hopefully, by more cisgendered people than trans people, just based on numbers. Um, What do you guys think in terms of the the imprint of that or how difficult that can be? Like, do you I mean, we're in sort of rarefied air that we are people drawn to this kind of story. But what, what do you think in terms of do you think that everyone will find it as accessible as we did? I mean, I think the movie is really going out of its way to make itself that way. And and I, I want to give it all credit there. And it's funny, when you when you were talking about, you know, how this is going to be in theaters, I immediately started thinking about, I just finished, you know, writing a book that's coming out next year that's a, a history of queer cinema. And I think so, I mean, you, you could say this about all film, but I think especially with queer movies, like, there is something about the building of a legacy that becomes so important because when you are young and maybe don't have people to talk about it and don't have other resources like movies become this real lifeline. And so I'm thinking that this is one of those movies where I hope that people see it now. I hope it's a box office success now, but I know that for decades to come, young people are going to look at this movie and either relate to it or at least learn from it. Um, and, and, and oftentimes 
you know, like, uh, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. Perfect example. This is a movie that came out mm-hmm. in, in like 2000. Did not get very good reviews, but boy, people who saw that movie when they were 12 or 14, like, have hung on to it with all of their hearts, and now it is considered this like successful cult film. And so I think that a movie like like Mutt. Is it's going to get an art house audience now? It's going to get people who are like trans people who are just like thrilled that there's another trans movie in theaters because it happens all too rarely. And uh, I think cis audiences who are open minded enough and interested in you know wanting to to look outside of their own bubble will get a lot out of this as well. But I think just this movie's existence moving forward is is going to be uh, really important for an uh, for generations of audiences that are going to discover it for whatever reasons they need to discover it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. It is, like, very dynamic in that sense. I, th- I find it pretty accessible in the sense that I think they are, there's multi-layers to the conversation, where I think for some of the people who might need a little hand-holding that Coke 22-year-old uh, <laughs> is going to be, like, the first. Their know, avatar. That's going to be the one-on-one. <laughs> and I think for the families who feel like they kind of know their way and they just can't quite get it, you know, the fatherhood conversation. And for the partners, you know, uh, who, are, who may be dealing with someone transition. I think there's, in a weird way, there's something for everyone in this that, you know, you can watch it or you can just sit back and enjoy this as a day-in-the-life film with, you know, the bumps and ups and downs of someone who uh, happens to be trans. So, but I do think it is like a very artsy movie. It's in a like different aspect ratio. And I think it is one of those films that like the art kids, you know, the the film kids are going to love. And I think that might seem uh, smart for like maybe the most general of audiences. But in the end, I think anyone can just watch it and enjoy it. The film, Alonzo, I loved you bringing up I'm glad you brought up what I'm a cheerleader. The movie that this kept making me think of was Dee Reese's Pariah Mm. with the same kind of, because that Mm. is also this very um, atmospheric, it's urban, it's a very, it's a specific, there's some like uh, emotional, sexual, parental, like all of those things are in there. And I would love to see that sort of trajectory for this director of what uh, Dee Reese ended up, the path that she ended up taking. Sure. But yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I'll say, too, that the other thing about this, lest anyone uh, hear all this and, and hear my words like, oh, it's accessible. and But there's also just like the reality of moments of ugliness, like of the stuff of not being able to cash your check. But also the entire uh, connection with the mother is just dead. It's just ugly and not right. And, and I think that there's um, a, a beautiful embracing of the many facets of a life experience um, without being so unwieldy. I think sometimes people like want to just bite into the like, Oh, but then it can be this and this and this. And I think this film does a really good job of pacing and putting in just the right amount of story and character beats, including a 20 something Coke cousin, (laughs) which we of our dreams. Honestly. Yeah, I, uh, to me, it feels more akin to a, a almost like a watermelon woman of like his because mm. that one felt like you dropped into her life and you're like, this is it. 
This is what the life is. This is like, this is what we're going through. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, come rock with me, you know? And, and that's kind of what I liked is we're, we're jumping in and we're following along. I, to me also, I felt uh, what I kept saying to the homie while we were watching, I was like, this feels like almost like a extended pilot because I want to live with these characters. Mm -hmm. I want to see this. I want the day to day. I want the, I want, yeah, to me, it did, it like, it endears you to these characters and you want to see them conquer more. You want to see, you, you know, year two, year three, year four, just this growth of this person who you've kind of essentially are watching them have the shittiest day. And, and to me, like, I feel like that's always, uh, you know, something that, that just locks you in on a character because you want to see them win. Yeah. Nothing else just makes you feel better about how your day is going. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to throw out real quick, uh, if, if people are interested in more stories like this, about characters like this, uh, Jenny Olson and Caden Mark Gardner have curated a whole section on the Criterion channel called Mask, M-A-S-C, that is about uh, trans mask uh, narratives and documentaries. And uh, I actually just recently did some screenings of them here in at, at UCLA. Uh, but yeah, they are available on the Criterion channel. And I think... Uh, they, the, these are stories that we don't hear often enough in the media. Uh, even in the queer media, I think like trans femme narratives have, have been more, uh, you know, in the mix. And so these are worth seeking out. These are a really fascinating mix of films. And I think that um, if if Mutt has you intrigued about this, uh, this kind of storytelling, uh, these are movies to check out. Ooh. My last thing for Mutt is a shout out to the cinematographer Matthew Pothier. Mm. It is his first feature wow. um, as a as a director of photography as well. And this is, I mean, if you, not to brag, but I watch a lot of very ugly independent films, <laughs> and this is beautiful work in small spaces. And it's also, it's, I'm always impressed when somebody can make a movie in New York or Los Angeles that doesn't look like a million other movies made in New York or Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think they absolutely uh, pull that off here. Yeah. Mm, vote, nice. vote, 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 vote. <laughs> All right. Yes. This is your first time tuning in. The way that we vote for things on this show is screen it being the highest, stream it being the next level, and skip it being self-explanatory. So who wants to kick this off? Oh, I'm a screen it. Absolutely. Uh, again, just, just talking about how great the cinematography is, but just generally speaking, this is such an assured debut. This is such a riveting movie uh, in terms of just like building a character, but also creating tension through, you know, the passage of time and whatnot. Like just this movie is just scoring on all fronts. And uh, it's also a character study that doesn't, like spoon feed you everything. You really kind of have to be listening to what's being said between the lines yes. and what's being implied about events in the past that aren't going to be fully spelled out. But I really came away feeling like I knew so much about Fenya and, and you know, all the, the journey that he'd already been on and, and you know, what lies ahead for this guy. Because again, in his 20s, he's going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, I am definitely a screen it. Uh, very much enjoyed this. And again, I know I love to, no, I hate the phrase beat a dead horse. You guys, I was about to say it and I hate that phrase so much. And now it's all I can think and see. I apologize to everybody. But 
I know I, I do say this a lot, but I think there's such a special place for indie discoveries like this and how exciting it is to see something this fully realized early on and to be part of it and then to track what where these people go and, and what comes next. And it's certainly the kind of movie deserving of audience support and hopefully finds it. If it's playing near you right now, great. Seek it out. If not, keep an eye open for when it does uh, release. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to screen it as well. This is, uh, I think it's beautifully shot. You know, we really didn't dive into a great cinematography. Uh, the, yeah, it's, it's a film going experience. And I think it would probably just read so well in just a big theater where you're just allowed to just get sucked into the, the world and the design. And uh, yeah, uh, screen it. Simple, clean. Now we're out. We'll be right back after you hear from another show from Maximum Fun. The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is great here. The Brit with a permit to hit, Lindsay Cow. The Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. And the fast-talking, fist-clocking Hal Uplin. See, I can wrestle and be an announcer. Get ready for tights and fights. Listen every Saturday or face the pain. Find us on Maximum Fun. No ring the bell. Welcome back, everyone, to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ivy Wadi Way. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Drea Clark. And it's been quite some time since we introduced an excellent new category to the Hall of Excellence. But today, in honor of a movie that takes place over one 24 hour period, we're nominating picks for best one day movies. Any movie is eligible as long as it takes place over the course of one day. Query. Who would like to start? Query, Query. What is the query? So I'm only asking, it, it may not matter, but so this says one day movies. Are we differentiating from one day or one night? Do we care? Because I have a whole different lineup of like one crazy night movies. I literally did a screen drafts on that <laughs> versus one day movies. It can be a different energy. Do we care? So you're what's saying, our, are we doing like a, a full 24 hours uh, to, mm-hmm. to, and not just like eight? Yeah. Well, do we care if it's something that's only in the evening hours? Here's, um, here's, here's, here's my, here's, here's, I think what I will differentiate it with okay. is you made a good point of saying one crazy night, which we know is a type of film. Yeah. So I think if it's a day and, and even if it happens in the night, it's fine. But if it's one crazy night. Then, uh, then I, I would say it does not fall in the same. Uh, category. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say. Look, I think we should we should say at least 18 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, 18. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Then I got it. Okay. Then I'm ready. I'll go. Go. What do you got? Bitches, Groundhog Day. It's right there in the title, Day. <laughs> I so I know it covers, <laughs> and I realize it's playing with it a little because it's one day. Spread out over many multiple days. times, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm counting it for myself, and also because it's such a great movie. And my the place where I 
rent a house every summer with the Ribboneers, my best friends from college, is in the town where they filmed Groundhog's Day. There's like a big mural and like you go by the town square where Pexitani Phil comes out, a real close emotional ties. Phil, Bill Murray's most likable work, surely. Is it Andy McDowell? Yes. Look how I didn't even put a description. It is indeed Andy McDowell. It's, it, it is indeed. Ned? Ned Ryerson? <laughs> Groundhog Day. Uh, okay, so uh, that is a great movie, and you're a total cheater for bringing it up here. But fine, <laughs> fine, it's fine. Um, there are a lot. Uh, this is uh, this is a cat- this is a category I like a lot. I mean, you, you can go all the way back to like Roman Holiday. Um, oh yeah, you know, Southside with You is a favorite. Uh, and you know, Obama's. so I, I know we we talked about that when we did our our series of the before movies with Linklater, which I think. Uh, yeah, mostly fit in this category, though. Again, they may not, they may not fit the 18-hour um, window. So I'm going to say Richard Linklater again, but not the Before Trilogy. <gasps> Days of Confused. Yep. Um, yes. Felt that coming. Felt which that is, coming. Which is a morning Party to... at the Moon Tower. Exactly. It's a morning-to-morning movie uh, and packs a whole lot of events in and a whole lot of characters and a lot of cross-cutting action and uh, is... You know, it, it is not reliant upon the ticking clock for anything in terms of like suspense or tension, but it does just sort of allow a, 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 a hot summer evening to unfold itself eternally uh, in these young people's lives. And, I like um, the, the only ticking clock in it is that Floyd needs to or Randy, whoever needs to sign his. Uh, oh right! Football yes. release. That's the and it's like the most low stakes ticking <laughs> clock you've ever seen. Bless. You know, and and Wooderson keeping track of you know how old the girls are. Uh, keep, yes. He and he stays the same and age. He stays and the same. He sure does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it, it it's just one of the great uh, American films of the last twenty five years. No, what are they saying? God, I'm so old. I like, just celebrated ah! the thirtieth. They just <laughs> celebrated the thirtieth anniversary of it this year. Which that can't it, be true. It's making me insane. The, the please the fortieth anniversary of Risky Business. I still I can't even talk about it. I'm I, I'm plotting. <laughs> anyway, days are confused. All yeah, right. um, and I'm gonna stick to on brand and uh, and I'm gonna go with Escape from New York uh, because uh, you that know very that, that one is an, a, yeah it has a tick clock. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think uh, that one is a is a banger as well. Uh, I, even though I do like Escape from L.A., I have to go with the one that most people agree is the better version. So we're going with Escape from New York. Where is I have a deep bench of th- that. That one is for sure the right amount of hours. But I have mm-hmm. so many films that I'm like, oh, Clue, not enough yeah. hours. Yeah. One of my favorite, like all one day, but it's one uh, yeah. crazy night. Yeah, Die Hard, not enough after hours. hours is not yeah. enough hours. Yep. Um, so many good. Ooh, yeah. you know what? Can I do a little honorable mention? I don't want yeah. this in my thing, but just shout out to Booksmart. Oh Love yeah, you. Oh, Love yeah. You, girl. and and speaking of books, Booksmart, super bad. You know. Oh yeah, Booksmart has an <laughs> epilogue though, right? Or doesn't that cheating a little? Oh yeah. I did Groundhog Day. I don't get to say shit about cheating. <laughs> no, I I love Booksmart, but if I recall, there's like an ep- there's like they jump ahead two months and there's like a little five ten minute you know capper. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah Ferris Bueller was going to be a pick of mine, but I was like, I'm gonna go with the on brand. Um, oh yeah, and, and the un- Breakfast un- Club and like- under eight, under eighteen. Well, yeah. Yeah. Breakfast Club yeah, probably also under eighteen. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. All, All right. right. Well, yep. On that note, I guess we'll uh, keep it going. And uh, it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. So, Drea, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Uh, my movie is a film that I just watched that that is uh, tonally and narratively very different from Mutt, but share energy as uh, very sort of personal um, indie films. It is called The Quiet Girl. Um, one of my best friends, Saucy, the Saucy Aussie, recommended this to me. And they did not warn me that I shouldn't watch it on a plane because I was going to weep like an asshole. <laughs> so let me pass that along. It's an Irish film. The majority of it is in Irish. Um, and it's set in 1981. It's about a young girl from a very large family who sort of sent away for the summer just to get out of her, like, pregnant once again mother under her feet and uh, to sort of distant relatives where she, for the first time, is treated with sort of compassion and allowed to be just a reserved, sweet, helpful girl. And when I tell you the grace of just watching people be, be kind as they move through life can be th one of the most rewarding things you could see. Oh, good God. This movie wrecked me, but in like really like positive like oh my god maybe maybe some people are okay <laughs> you'll cry at the end so you know if you watch it and don't cry i guess tell me but more i want to hear if you cried the quiet yes. girl and it's it's like it's i think it's on hulu it's available to rent for like two dollars from pretty much every place so yeah check it out yeah all right uh, so I'm going to pivot from uh, trans mask to trans femme with a documentary Ooh. called Casa Susana, uh, which had some festival play. It premiered at Venice last year and then uh, aired in June as a PBS American experience. And if you have access to stream stuff on the PBS site, you can watch it there. If not, you can rent it at uh, Amazon and you know YouTube and all the places. Uh, but it's directed from Sebastian Lifshitz, who did the doc Little Girl a couple years ago. And it's about this house in the Catskills um, that became kind of a refuge in the 50s and 60s for what they would describe as cross-dressing men. Um, and it was, you know, so was, people could go there and they could uh, dress as women, you know, 24-7 and be away from a world that would throw them in jail for the practice uh, or, you know, put them in a mental institution or whatever. And, you know, they, they talked to two of the people who uh, used to travel there with some regularity, both of whom are trans women, and talking about how you know how it came to be and and sort of how people would find out about it in these very sort of like hushed networks of 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 you know transvestites as they would call them, um, and this this sort of progression of the notion of like thinking of themselves as oh well we're we're men who have a feminine side and we like to wear women's clothing to kind of coming to the realization of like oh no no. I'm a woman. I've always been a woman and I need to go all the way with that idea. Um, they also talked to the daughter of one of the other uh, uh, regulars of it and also the grandson of the, of the couple that owned the place. And it's just a really sweet story and, and uh, a look at a very recent American history and what people's lives were like and how they had to sort of like run around in these shadowy ways, but still find these enclaves where they could be taken care of and people could take care of each other and protect each other and encourage each other as they were sort of, you know, coming to figure out who they are. It's a beautiful doc. I really, really loved it. And, um, I, I you know, it, it, it did not 
to have a giant cultural footprint. Like I, I know a lot of people have never heard of it. So Casa Susana, I highly recommend. Ooh, all right. That's a banger. Uh, I think to close out, I'm going to keep it very simple uh, and use this weird uh, gray area I have to uh, go ahead and say that my pick is going to be Blue Beetle. Uh, it's a heavily Latino film. Uh, we, let's get, let's put our dollars on it. You know, a lot of promises may be made before the box office close to how much they'll continue going. But, you know, there are a lot of people who make who add to making the decisions. And the only thing they listen to is money. Simply how the AMTP is now coming to the table because we took some of that from them because they forgot that they need us to make money. Funny. Mm. Funny. Uh, but yes. Wait, and uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll also be discussing it next week, eh? That's right. Say again? Yes. Yes. That's also why Sorry, you should watch I, it because I we're going to be talking about it. I said that in Canadian. My bad. Uh, you're all good. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm saying thank you to Dre and Alonzo for another wonderful show. Thank you. And like, uh, yeah, of course, anytime. And like Drea said, we're going to be talking about Blue Beetle next week. So if you can, definitely get it. Uh, get in those seats. If you, you know, if you ain't got movie money, we'll make it a little cheaper on you on uh, August 27th. Drea went ahead and pulled her indie film connections to make that happen for you. <laughs> and if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum fun.org. Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxpart. Our senior producer is the wonderful Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.